I'm Donna Green. And I'm Jonathan Stokes. And this is Now We Know. The monthly podcast where we unpack and repack our Black history as you relate it to the world of today. What didn't we learn? What do we want to learn? What do we need to revisit to establish the historical truth and not just what we were taught? We're here to learn and grow together as a community with the intention of bringing awareness to better our futures. You look schnazzy. Oh, well, thank you. This is an old shirt that um, is a dead person's. The sleeves are too short and the back is ripped a little bit. So it's perfect for a Zoom call. Frontal, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Well, the front looks good. (laughs) That's that's usually my review. (laughs) Well, the front looks good. (laughs) Okay, so this episode, we're going to talk about Afrofuturism, um, which I feel like is uh I don't I don't think that the term is necessarily new but I feel like um in getting to watch like that PBS special and um the uh the talk after and just like utilizing the resources that um we did for the for the preparation of the episode I'm like oh okay like we are afrofuturistic but we didn't have the term to it um, in terms of like what we do with the podcast. And so I feel like as we go through um, kind of our, our learnings and um, applications of Afrofuturism to um, us throughout this episode, I think that people are going to be able to connect to it and have a better understanding of like, you know, what is this word? But it's like, actually, it's what you live um, if you, you know, kind of approach life similarly to how we do. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that something that immediately stood out while learning about Afrofuturism is just that, that I think that just because the word sounds like it's supposed to be a certain thing and be presented in a certain way, I was like, oh, Afrofuturism is a genre that art can go into and approach, but it's not something that um, is is all-encompassing for the life of a Black person. However, now, after just a little bit of, you know, uh, listening to people who are in that space and, and study Afrofuturism and all the things that come with it, I think that pretty I pretty much think that every black person that I know is an Afrofuturist or lives in an Afrofuturistic way because we kind of have no choice in 2024, but also mm-hmm. we've been given so much work that leads us in that direction that unless you completely reject the idea of black liberation, right. you're an Afrofuturist. Right. I agree with that. Um, so for some context, we watched this PBS um episode on Afrofuturism. Um, They did a whole season on art. Um, It's called Artbound, but this specific uh, episode one of season seven is uh, dedicated to Afrofuturism. And what I really kind of took away, or I guess maybe noticed during, uh, or as I watched the the special, is that I felt like um, everyone was just really like in the Zen space you know, and I know they're out in California and, you know, things might <laughs> be um, influential there, but I just, everyone seemed grounded, I should say, not like they were high. They just seemed really grounded and really um, in this uh, more of a spiritual, like soft space, um, which made the delivery of everything that they were talking about really uh, more captivating to me um, because you could just feel that they were exuding the ex- the essence of their work. Um, and maybe that's an artist thing, 
Um, maybe it's a California thing, maybe it's both, but I thought that was beautiful how they, they really were entrenched, um, just by how they are as people into Afrofuturism. Agree. And I think that's something that I, I look for in people in general. And I think it is an artist thing. And in the sense of what Afrofuturism is, and we'll get into definitions soon, but, um, just having a certain amount of hope and optimism Mm -hmm. can lead to that certain calm, despite the circumstances, you know, it's like, I'm creative enough to think beyond these boundaries. So I'm kind of chilling and like, I'm going to talk about my theories and I'm going to talk about ideas with other people who are down to, to listen to that because they're very tangible because my brain works like this, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can see the future, I can feel it and I can go there. So I think that adds to that, that sort of feeling that you got when watching them. And I also picked up on that too. And I love that. And I love that in people. Mm -hmm. In conjunction with that um, PBS special, we also um, watch another um, kind of about a 30 minute um, clip or uh, sort of special from PBS that was geared towards like Afro-fantastic, um, the transformative world of Afrofuturism. And then lastly, um, we uh, sat in on it or we watched a talk um, that focused on Afrofuturism, uh, the origin story. And um, that was from a year ago anyway. So they were talking about an exhibit that um, maybe it still is there um, at the National Museum of African-American History um, and it just so all of these pieces together will help make our episode make even more sense. Um, but I liked the way that they um, had these creatives in the Afrofuturistic space and talked about um, or had the, had them give their their insight or their definitions of Afrofutur- Afrofuturism. And I think that's really where we start um, to you know bring it all together and then um, you know dive a bit deeper. Let's hop into the resources and the the things mm-hmm. that we watch and just do a general what what did you feel about these different uh projects? I guess we can do it chronologically with the longer PBS special that came out. I believe you're right. I think it was like 2015. Yeah. That that first one came out. Yeah. What were you, what was your overall takeaway and feeling about what they were talking about? I felt like um there was a, I mean, again, it's like kind of the beauty in the way that they speak about, about what they do because they live it. Um, and there's a lot of pride. And um, I thought that that was really, um, I don't know, it's just engaging. And it like, it was also a bit validating, to be honest, in terms of what we do. Um, so if we look at, I guess, generally speaking, the definition of Afrofuturism um, defined as a movement in literature, music, art, et cetera, that's featuring a a futuristic or science fiction um, themes, which incorporate elements of Black history and Black culture. And as we look at um, the specials and listen to everyone speak, they're really talking about having um, the existence of three times. So our past, our current, and our future. And so not letting our past define our future, but understand that the past is affecting the current. And so I really liked the kind of like flow of 
they call it space and time. And like, that, that totally makes sense. Because even just as what we do, we're like breaking down our past. We're, you know, getting to learn for where we're at now. And the intention of having this podcast is that we can have a better future. Um, because having that knowledge assist in what we do now that will improve our future too. So, um, and then for those who listen, right. So, um, we get to help sort of educate and like spread our curiosities with people who are also curious. And, um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of walked away from watching the, um, the special and the other special and the talk, um, feeling like we are in that space. Um, maybe not in the like visual arts or like, you know, the, the sound of music and, you know, all those sorts of things, but, um, in a sound of our voices and <laughs> you know, the creativity yeah. and effort put into the, um, the making of our podcast. So. Yeah. Also the method by which we, we share our messages in mm -hmm. our, in the education that we have and participating in so many different forms of media, just, you know, this is extracurricular and this is recreational, mm -hmm. but we're still in an educational space. And whether it mean that one single person listened to 60 seconds of the pod, also listened to 60 seconds of the pod, but like or the whole whether thing. that mean just, or the whole thing, that'd be yeah. lovely. Um, but whether you listen to that um, or not, you are absolutely taking away something from what we've learned from other people who produced it and shared it through technology and had some sort of uh, goal for what people would take away. And we're spreading that message. And so it's that same, it's that same kind of thought that goes behind, I'm going to write this story that has these messages because I want people to feel the way I feel when I think about these possibilities. It's mm -hmm. the exact same thing. It's community. It's, it's storytelling, it's education, it's liberation, and ultimately it's hope. And I love that. And something interesting about that 2015 um, episode was the way that they were talking about the usage of social media, which just kind of gave me a chuckle because they were talking so they were legitimizing things that are so long gone, like Vine. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like Vine created uh, T.S. Madison, who is a superstar right now, and like a bunch of other people, a bunch of influencers, a bunch of people who now have um, solid spaces in media. But it was because Black people can get a piece of social media, get a piece of technology, whip it up with their own flavor and make it their mm -hmm. thing. Look at TikTok. Yeah. You, TikTok dances didn't come with the app. They didn't say, hey, this yeah. is for dances. Yeah. You know, Black people did that. And yeah. that that is essentially what Afrofuturism is. It's like, look at what we can do yeah. with anything. On that social note... Um... It's funny you mentioned that because I actually took a note of this. Um, you know, they were uh, talking about just like Black influence. And um, I love that they mentioned um, Black Twitter and when Twitter mm -hmm. was still Twitter. <laughs> and I'm mm -hmm. like, if only they knew what the future would be. <laughs> You know, <laughs> right. Well, Eight even I know that <laughs> now we're in this X world and I mm. still have an account and I still mm. open it up and read things. It's the quickest way to get certain types of news. Um, and despite the website going to absolute crap, there is still 
this community uh, culture that was created by Black people that's ongoing. And it kind of has transferred onto all kinds of different apps. There are Facebook groups that act in the certain way that uh, Black yeah. Twitter does. There's been entire apps based on Black Twitter. Think of Spill. Spill Think yeah. of, um, gosh, what was the other one where we spoke to each other during COVID? Oh, um, a clubhouse. clubhouse. Yeah, yeah, that is, that's not... I understand that it was like presented in a way like, oh, this is where uh, tech people are going to have important conversations. You know, that was going to be black Twitter before you put it up. Yeah, You knew that this was going to be these kind of conversations. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting to hear 2015's vision of uh, progression with the existing tools back then and just kind of understanding where that has gone today. Yeah. And what I also really um, appreciated about the their takes and their efforts in, in the in the space is that it essentially is like um, to imagine a world, not even just imagine, but like help create the world where we simply just get to exist and like celebrate instead of being in a place of having to like push back and retort and sort of break mm-hmm. out of what sets us in um the current space from mm-hmm. oppression-based or origination as we did here in the U.S. And so um, I like the thought of just getting to be and not second-guessing mm-hmm. whether someone said something in some way because of, you know, the color of my skin or um, did something in some way. Like, we just we just get to be, right? We just get to mm-hmm. exist. And I think that the um, way to have that sort of resonate with more people or people who don't look like us to understand the the purpose is like you think about the way that they live right they are just being we want to just be also but they cannot imagine a world that they have to think about the color of their skin yeah like like uh, being a barrier to entry at all and that's what we want and um just because you don't experience it or just because someone doesn't experience it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, and it still does. It's not, but again, I guess back to the Afrofuturism of it all, it's not something to hold us back um, is the way that you and I operate. It is just a recognition of what society we live in Yeah. right now. Yeah. In the, in the conversation that happened at the Smithsonian, which is a wonderful conversation, I highly recommend, the link will be in the show notes, mm-hmm. um, there was conversation about respectability politics. And it was mentioned that there was a time when Black people did not leave the house without dressing to their Sunday's best. And that was because of the reality that no matter where you are as a black person, the white gaze is on you. And Mm -hmm. there is a certain amount of presentation that can save you from violence. And so I was thinking about that, that super resonated with me. You even mentioned it at the start of this call that you like the shirt that I'm wearing. And that transfers from being a child of a mom who did not go outside without dressing the house down boots. And Mm -hmm. that comes from a culture of people who only went out dressing to the nines because of the white gaze. But what happens with me and my friends and other people, I would think in 2024, is that it's no longer about the white gaze. What we did was take the best parts of the 
dressing to the nines and expressing ourselves through clothes and fashion and all that stuff to turn it into another way that we just exist. And mm-hmm. I see that and I love that. And I realize now that that is Afrofuturistic thought. Like there's a way to acknowledge that the reason why a lot of Black people don't go out dressed um, poorly is because of white gaze and the threat of violence. But then there's also a self-expression in that. And it's like a simple thing is, I'm Black and I like this color and I want to wear it because I love the color. And now mm-hmm. I get to wear the color in all the ways that I possibly can. I also document it. I have a social media profile where people are interested in how I'm expressing myself. All these things build up into the person as a whole. And I had never really fully connected why I like to dress like why I like to I don't go out in in scrubby clothes because I don't feel great in that. And I never questioned why, but I think it's because throughout culture, throughout learning or with the people around me, we took the best part of something that wasn't so great and brought it up and created a new thing out of it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Towards the beginning of um, the special, there's... um, there's a quote from Martine Sims that this really resonated with me. Uh, she said, while we're often othered, we are not aliens. While our ancestors were mutilated, we are not mutants. Post-Black is a misnomer. Post-colonialism is a misnomer. The most likely future is that of which we only have ourselves and this planet. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, that was moving to say the least and i guess this whole conversation this whole period of um research and the thought of afrofuturism was powerful um i'm really happy that we have chosen this topic because i found so many creatives that just i feel a connection to because of just the way that they think and that statement to start off that type of program I wish that I had heard that statement throughout my childhood. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, especially being isolated in a PWI space for so many years, like through up until adulthood, till now, you know, Mm -hmm. just being forced to feel othered in a a world post-Obama where we're supposed to have been post, you know, all these things that you can't even complain about anymore because we have a black president. It's like, well, no, this, this shit is so real. You know what I mean? And if I had heard, or if I had a deeper understanding of these different thoughts, I feel like the transition through all the different tribulations that have come along would have been a little bit smoother. Not that I regret how they've been handled in my past, but it's nice to see this. It's kind of like Afrofuturism and the thought and the practice of Afrofuturism is a balm for the Black American identity, at least. You know, it's like, oh, I, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Everything is real. This hope is real. This pain is real. This idea of the, the moving forward is real past, present, future, baby, like, it's like we, it's Black forever, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe it's not something that connects with everyone, but I think, I think that Black Americans, if you're paying attention, you'll understand what I'm saying. 
I agree. Um, and I think that more people are living in this space than um, they have a term for. Um, and then they'll realize like, oh, they've already been been part of it. But it's interesting that they mentioned that Mark Derry is a white man who actually coined the term of Afro- Afrofuturism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was like, and hey. only in 1993, <laughs> too, which shocks me. So Afrofuturism mm-hmm. is 31. Um, <laughs> but which is weird to think, mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's uh it's what's happened. It's a newer term and it's a newer thought, but it's a forever practice. I even mm-hmm. think that follow the drinking gourd, the Negro spiritual. Like I think that yeah. Negro spirituals can technically be categorized as Afrofuturists or Afrofuturistic yeah. art. Right. Speaking no. of that sort of um, art expression, so there was a um, a, mu- a musician who was on. Um, his name is Delroy Edwards, and um, he's just like futuristic kind of sounds um i don't want to say techno but it's like techno edm like kind of vibe-ish yeah. uh music like a really like eclectic noise mix. experimental yeah, yeah yeah and um what i appreciated about his efforts is that he's like i'm doing this because i love it and i'm always going to do it and we're not doing this for money like if we wanted to do something for money we could easily have gotten to a space of um something that's more mainstream but what um surprised me the most of what he said is that he um you know if they do a show in the US they get 20 people to show and then they go over to Europe and they're getting like a thousand. And I'm like, yeah. we so yeah. behind. We're so behind. Like, yeah. yeah. That's disappointing. This is, that's consistent with artists that we've talked about on the show, like James Baldwin and Josephine Baker, even Nina Simone at some point, just people from America, Black people from America who have found more comfort in European thought. And it's because... America is just so entrenched in the origin of America or, you know, American society, which is so reliant upon pushing black people down. Not to say that's not in Europe, but there's also yeah. more forward thinking and there's more revolution that is um, made clear and experienced by the people that there's an openness to thought that doesn't so much exist here. And you can see that in concert attendance. You can yeah. see, I see that in concert attendance because I like all kinds of genres of music and I am a sore thumb at a majority of the shows that I go to because the environments are not welcoming to black people. Mm-hmm. And I do not blame black people who also like that kind of music for not wanting to be in that room. And oftentimes in those rooms, I'm looking around and I lock eyes with the other black person because it's like, I'm glad that we are here just in yeah. case, but it's yeah. two, three of us, you know, yeah. so it doesn't really surprise me that they're not getting um, a lot of attention here. There's so many systems that were set up to allow for that to not happen. Yeah. I think to that point, <clears throat> excuse me, I think to that point, what's, um, I mean, there's so many disappointments um, in the way that we operate here in the U.S. Um, in terms of the the racial space, but um, there's, there's such a, a bigger emphasis in our culture, um, American culture of like, bring yourself up from your bootstraps kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, I feel like 
people are trying to will away history instead mm-hmm. of like acknowledging history and um the whole bootstrap mentality is what tells me like you just want everyone to forget and um if i'm being real honest i feel like the way that american culture is set up um or like our country is operating is really like narcissistic to be honest like um do a bunch of horrible things and you should be happy that you get what you get and i never did this previously like full of gaslighting, full of like denying the truth, full of like no responsibility um, and just really trying to sweep it under the rug when in reality um, to be able to continue to approach this like from an Afrofuturistic standpoint, we need to be able to acknowledge the past and the present and then be able to move forward and not forget either. Um, But they're like stuck on us with like wanting us to forget and that's not going to happen. Um, and so you don't, they don't like that. It's like, they don't want to be challenged. And, um, yeah. yeah so, but it's a, yeah. it's a disappointment of how, how we're set up, but also it's pretty, um, telling by how Delroy has experienced his shows, having not great turnout here and having better turnout in Europe. Um, cause they're further ahead. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add something to that, some terminology, um, because what you just described was the difference between American culture, which can be identified and categorized as an individualist society mm-hmm. or individualist culture versus collectivism, which mm-hmm. inside of our individualist culture in America, being a part of Blackness, and maybe even in being a part of blackness in any way, I'm not sure being black, I'm not sure if like being black adjacent or having black people in your circle also lends this to you, but we adopt within individualism, collectivism, because we have to, like community is so, is so inherent to black survival. Mm-hmm. And the, the, even, you know, it comes up when people have children, it's like, it takes a village type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, with or without children, it takes like a collective uh, force to be able to survive in this world as at least in in this country as a black person. Um, So it's interesting because we kind of live this dichotomous existence where we have collectivism, we rely on collectivism, but we are asked so many different ways to focus on individualism. And like you said, like, the idea of this bootstrap thing is it lends itself to the thought of Afrofuturism in the way that we're focused on progression, mm-hmm. but Afrofuturism also fully respects the past. Whereas right now we're experiencing book bans for a certain reason. Yeah. That's not, that's not possible within Afrofuturism um, within that thought. That's not possible. You can't ignore it. It it has to be a part of what's happening next or else. Yeah. What are we doing? So it's, yeah, it's a lot going on. I, again, I love this topic. So I'm, I'm throwing out my SAT words a little bit, but like, it's nice to like, it's nice to finally connect some dots here. Yeah. I think the, um, actually when we, uh, watch the, or listen to the talk about or the discussion, um, one of the speakers had mentioned how it's, um, 
I forget, actually, maybe it wasn't the discussion either way. So uh, part of the sort of visual picture of Afrofuturism is like you have this wheel and you have like the intersection of spokes that come together. So you've got black culture and liberation and um, like imagination, technology, mysticism, like all those spokes are coming together to really create that wheel. And um, I like the wheel too, because it's like, you've rolled and you move forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So, um, and, and that's the only way we want to go. Together too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. One, yes, love the wheel. Everything moves forward all together at once. I wish that that was just something that people, I wish more people could hear. I hope that if you listen to this, you're inspired to go listen to these other much smarter, much more well-read people uh, discuss these themes and these ideas because the way that they describe it is um, not only poetic, but also just Mm -hmm. it it will connect with you. If you're already listening to this, trust me, that is something that you want to hear. But also I'm thinking about... um, the popular works that have brought Afrofuturism up in our terminology more in recent years. And I don't think that we can move forward without bringing up Black Panther. Of course. Yeah. There's the shift that Black Panther brought to Black culture was, I mean, that's history books. And I don't know what to compare it to um, from earlier years like i don't know what if there's been a a movie that has stuck with black culture in the way that that black panther is sticking um and i hope that it sticks longer um maybe like black exploitation era did a lot with but i don't know i there was something i feel like we'd have to ask our our parents um, yeah, and maybe even grandparents, if there was something that stuck out to them, I wonder, I might ask my aunt, um, to get some feedback from her about it because, um, I think that they would have, a. a I feel like there's something, but I wonder if there was the understanding of what that black exploitation was, although there might have been more representation, how was the representation back then? And did it even like resonate in the way that Black Panther has been resonating with us in the last, you know, um, several years? So uh, I'm not, I don't know, it might have been there, but I don't know how impactful it would have been. Right. You know, and now that I think about it, maybe black exploitation holds the same space as a Nichelle Nichols who played Aurora on Star Trek and maybe the same place that like Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. and all these other uh, Cicely Tyson, all these these mm-hmm. black stars making it to the spaces still within a still within a a white world right we're talking about crossover and that was the big break like it was like oh we have representation we have celebrities mm-hmm. we have people that we can see that look like us but then we have black panther that reimagined this genre the superhero genre um the relationship between uh basically nerds and uh blackness the relationship between um popular culture and the idea of a black future um, and black people existing in the future. I guess in the literary space, obviously there's Octavia Butler, but I don't think a lot of people, like, unless you're a reader, you're not, she's not coming up a lot. So black Panther just reached the masses thing by way of Disney. Hello to plant the seed, if not fully, um, fully, 
display an idea of black culture within an existing world that is actually self-sufficient sans the isms and the obias, you know, Mm -hmm. that has held back American black culture for X amount of years. And I think it, it, that movie, as silly as it sounds, because it's a Disney property, it's a Marvel property, it's algorithmic and the decisions that were made and all that. But, uh, I think it, I think that radicalized people in the ways that they think about blackness and definitely with kids, absolutely with the kids, you know, it's like a holy Magoli. Like that isn't something that existed before that. And that was 2018. I'm like, is it ironic that um, we're talking about Black liberation and how um, Black Panther was a, a more widespread piece of that? Although part of Black liberation is breaking from colonialism and capitalism and stuff, yet of all like mm-hmm. entities to release this film. Disney. <laughs> I know. Right like, I know. Like, or whatever, Marvel, you know, whoever I know. had their hands in that pot. So it just, I don't know. It, it, two truths can be there, but I just, uh, yes. I think that that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I feel um, like what the power in that, um, because yes, that's true. And it kind of does, it adds like the, you remember red, red birthday cake icing when we grew up? It was like, oh, take that off. That's disgusting. Yeah. That's the Disney part of the cake. But the rest of the yeah. cake was like, okay, Ryan Coogler got these messages through this machine and was able to use the biggest distribu- distribution platform ever to mm-hmm. present these ideas from a comic book that, yeah, it existed. And yeah, it had fans. But 2018 made that that story those characters something completely different than their origins on the page so like you said two truths at once but man didn't it shift after 2018 and i realized that happened because we needed it because 2014 Mm -hmm. 2015 we're talking mike brown we're talking trayvon martin um we had our mass media we had our social media the messages Mm -hmm. were getting wider the conversations were going across the world in ways that hadn't happened before and come 2018 we needed that Mm -hmm. and we need that consistently Mm -hmm. yeah i think that this is also uh representative um in a in a sense of what um I've heard from some friends who come from various countries in Africa to um, like watching a video or someone else speak about um, their experience moving from one of those countries in Africa as a black, you know, a black person, like an African to the United States and um, really just their shock and um, disappointment in in what that realization was. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. And I, unfortunately, I don't remember the creator, but um, I would say that the, the, the general consensus is that like when they were in Africa, they're like, yeah, we're black. Like everyone was, or everyone's African. Everyone looks like this. Right. And it just was, it just was what it was. And so um, then when they come to the United States and realize, Oh, like, this is a uh, people will judge you <laughs> based upon this, mm-hmm. and um, 
or even one woman was saying that uh, she was in a like a literature class and um, maybe wrote an essay or something, and um, it was the best essay in the class. And so um, the professor's white man is like, I'm surprised you wrote the best essay in the class. And she's like, well, why would you be surprised? You know, because meanwhile, for her, she's like, this is just at face value. This is literally the best. You're shocked. Professor is shocked because it was a black woman or an African woman even who uh, who wrote it. And so the intention of um, Afrofuturism and then also uh, the movies like Black Panther is to literally live in a space where you just get to be and to exist and to write the best essay, write the worst essay, write a mid essay, or, you know, <laughs> all of that without any, um, any sort of prejudice or any, um, added uh negativity because someone thinks of um the production or like what the you what you produced is in part um either um uh, an anomaly because it was so good although you're black or go figure mm-hmm. you didn't do it well because you're black you know like mm-hmm. that doesn't exist it just is what it is for what was produced and um I would love that like I would love to be in a in a space like that and kind of going back to what I mentioned about, um, having to sort of decode or, um, like read between the lines on what someone's saying, um, to see where that dig is or where that, um, passive aggressive or, uh, sort of hidden dig on, well, you're black. So why did you do this so well? Or you're black. (laughs) So why are you here? Um, that's, you know, to not have to live in that space. And, um, I know that some people do, because they just want to be ignorant to realize what's actually happening. Um, and I, yeah. do, I don't, I don't want to um, be unaware. And yeah, I love that we're, you know, bringing so much more awareness and um, to understand those nuances and to get to that place of where like Wakanda could be for real, but in mm-hmm. like our, you know, American version um, where there's just no, no prejudice there. Yeah. And also to that, it is real in in different ways. Like it's the idea of just existing is real for some people. Unfortunately for Black Americans, it's not. But um, Mm. I don't know if you're a fan of TED Talks, um, but there is a TED Talk by uh, Chimamanda. Oh, my God. Chimamanda Ngoza. Why am I trying to do this off the top of my head? Hold on a second. (laughs) I know I didn't just try to say Chimamanda and not try to get the whole name. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, Chimamanda Ngozi uh, Adichie, right? And she is the voice that is on Beyonce's song Flawless um, that Mm. uh, says, like, we we teach ourselves to be small, whatever. She is a controversial figure. I think she said some transphobic things, which would not fit in Afrofuturistic thought. Mm -hmm. However, she has a wonderful TED Talk that um it's about telling a single story and it reminded it came up when you were talking about the person who wrote the essay in the class and was assumed to not be good because so many people have received a single story about a type of person because 
what's the phrase like the the, um the powerful are the ones who control the stories or like the winner is going to tell the story about the battle whatever what have you so like if white people or whiteness is the lens through which we we learn about all different types of culture of course you're going to have whatever negative thought they have about this group of people presented to you because they're the messengers, you know, Mm -hmm. but then there's also literature and art coming directly from people within those cultures that are about their real lives. And we don't get access to that. Mm -hmm. So I bring it back to, um, the black Panther where the messenger Disney that's white, you know, that's, that's whitey white. Like that is like, but we had that opportunity and the reason why it stands out is like we had that opportunity to share this message through a black lens for black people mm-hmm. and that's revolutionary in and of itself so anyway um if you're a fan of ted talks uh watch Chimamanda's talk about the single story i don't know the name of it i'm not going to type it in right now but you just type in those words you'll find it um but that that brings me to the latest uh, Afrofuturistic work, and this is just the latest in, on a large scale that comes to mind, but um, Beyonce's Renaissance, because it mm. always comes back to Beyonce. <laughs> and there obviously are <laughs> ways to dissect Beyonce's celebrity and art and relevance within culture that are both positive and negative. But for me personally, while thinking about Afrofuturism and the idea of that, um, just seeing how Renaissance has centered Black queerness in a way that other major pieces of work have not, including Black Panther. They tried in the second one to have a a lesbian relationship, but could not make it through censors. You know, it was like Mm. a, it was an idea, a whisper of a thought. But in Beyonce's Renaissance, it centers Black queer innovation arts arts um expression all the things even even to a point um sexuality and confidence and for me when learning about afrofuturism and the idea of that i think that it really clicked that i connect with these types of art nerd culture artistic culture things like that because it's not reliant upon something that black culture and black art has been reliant upon for so long which is christian religion because mm-hmm. part of afrofuturism is the idea of well i think a huge part is the idea of liberation and just a wholeness of identity. And a lot of people find that through religion. They find that through the power of prayer, and they find that through the community. Um, But having been (laughs) queer, that's explicitly excluded from that liberation. So then there's like, okay, so as a Black person, I'm allowed to be liberated because I'm in this church and I'm doing all the things. As a queer person, I'm stuck. And that doesn't really make sense to me because Mm -hmm. aren't we all God's children? You know, aren't we all destined for this thing? Well, the answer is yes, but unless you're this. Afrofuturism does not allow for that. the buts. It allows for Black people to be a part of Blackness, Mm -hmm. to be a part of a Black future. And I think that's why I connect with all these different types of art because it didn't, it's never excluded me. And it's included ideas of what I could be as a reality. Like if, you know, I'm not, trans but if i were listening to renaissance and had an inkling that i wanted to be a woman there was nothing in that artwork that 
made me think I could not do that and also reach liberation. Like I wouldn't mm-hmm. have to sacrifice anything. And I think that's the beauty of Afrofuturistic artwork and literature and thought and lifestyle. It's that it's inclusionary and it is all encompassing of blackness where mm-hmm. we kind of live in a society where we're supposed to be diced and sliced and separated. It's exactly. not fair. I'm going to bring it back a little bit to what you said about who is representing or who's presenting the information that continues on or, you know, in terms of history books and stuff. And my sister is actually uh, in Colombia right now. And um, this is her second time going, but this time she'll be there for three weeks. And I had a nice conversation with her this morning about um, some of the uh, tours that she's gone on and learning about Colombian history. And, um, you know, relating this back to the episode that we did on Afro-Latinos, um, that was really, um, like intriguing and really like invigorating for me in terms of my, um, love for Spanish. Anyway, it, all that. So she mentioned, um, that the tour guide said in Colombia, she's in Medellin and they, um, have like all of these, um, murals, for example, and it's depicting history of um, like the coal mines and things like that that they had. The reality is there were Black Colombians who worked in those mines. The mural depicts all white people working in those mines. And mm-hmm. um, when we talk about the erasure of history, like that is erasing and that is teaching something that's completely different. Um especially when white people were not the ones who were working in those mines um, to, you know, build the the country of Colombia. And um, I thought that was just really a, um, not full circle, but just thinking about that Afro-Latino episode that we um, did a couple years ago and um, how that relates to where we are um, today when you talk about banning books and like not teaching this and not teaching that and um, like this is what that is headed towards if we don't recognize the past. Um, mm-hmm. we're not trying to for, forget it. Yeah, that's so upsetting to hear about, but it's also mm-hmm. maybe a little too regular and expected of <laughs> whiteness. And I hate mm-hmm. to say that. Um, I hate to say that it seems like that's the default yeah but it certainly seems like it's the default and yeah. i'm glad thank goodness we have technology on our side so that stories can still be told and conversations can still be had for now who knows yeah. what's happening yeah. um but there's this idea <laughs> that's uh coming with this book band thing it's like um we have the knowledge, we have all the history, we have documents of that. Those weren't white people working in those mines. That wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And if there is a black Colombian person saying, well, that's incorrect because X, Y, Z, the third, that's going to be received as a lie because the messenger got there first and they said, mm-hmm. no, it's this. It's like what the Daughters of Liberty did to the South by putting up the statues of these awful people and calling them heroes. Right. You know, and, and then when you say, hey, yo, this is 
this is a racist loser. This is not how things went down. The Confederacy wasn't what you have been taught. Then you're gaslit into being called a liar, which can mm-hmm. be a total mind fuck. It's like, mm-hmm. wait, but I know this to be true. Right. But because you don't want to be introspective, you don't want to acknowledge the all of the past that existed. Now I have to be erased as a part of this legacy, as a part of an opportunity for the future, you know, as an important person within the society. It's, um, and it's sad to hear that that's also in Colombia, but it's not Mm -hmm. the most surprising thing. Yeah. And I think that um, to your point of, you know, part of that gaslighting, I think the, I believe the term is called DARVO. Uh, DARVO is an acronym that stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So we see that happening, um, especially here in the U.S. We're like, hey, you hurt my feelings, or you did this, and this is the way that I feel. And then the U.S. is like, nah, like, that didn't happen. Why are you bringing that up? You're hurting my feelings. Mm -hmm. I can't believe you won't just leave that in the past. Or like, you know, the gaslighting, like that never happened. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And um, so then you have to work on the U.S.'s feelings of like, you don't have to. The intention is to try and uh, make it seem like the U.S. is a victim and Mm -hmm. um, they Mm -hmm. never did anything wrong. And Mm -hmm. um, But who is the U.S.? Who is the U.S.? Because are we excluding all the people who literally built the country? Because it sounds right. like it, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. Want to round it out with um, one of the uh, depictions of this uh, experiment that is has really worked. So, um, in the the first special um, with uh, from PBS, there's a one of the um, one of the people featured. They were talking about um, how there was the work as a mirror image from Ramakandran, um, who was um, someone who assisted people who lost a limb, and so um, they would you know take a mirror and it would kind of um, give the person. Uh, uh, an overall view of like, okay, this is where my limb used to be. And um, it helps their synapses reconnect of like, okay, it's, it's kind of there, but not there, like, you know, just to help their, their brain to understand. And what I thought that that was um, a really beautiful metaphor in terms of what we're doing in terms of um, this Afrofuturistic space is that it's something that um, allows us to look into the past, you know, having that mirror um, to see what used to be there, but also more so like a reflection of like who we are intrinsically. Um, And it's not that it's not actually there. It's just we have to bring it out. Um, And so having that mirror to uh, bring a full picture allows us to remember what that is and then bring us forward um, and not be stuck in weight, but where's, where's my arm, where's my leg and, um, you know, create that, that holistic view of who we actually are. Yes. I love that so much. I love that so much. Donna, it's time for Now Now You you know. Know. 
For this episode's Now You Know, I want to highlight someone that I learned about through this conversation, through the various conversations of Afrofuturism. Um, it connects to some of my personal interests in art and storytelling and also nerd culture. And that is Jackie Orms, who was the first African-American woman cartoonist. Um, what Orms did was she wrote stories about Black people living in Black neighborhoods, and it was published on a large scale. So think Black Panther, but mundane. Like, just saying, like, this lady lives here, and these are the things that she's experiencing as a Black person. Um, she wrote cartoon characters like Torchy Brown, Candy, Patty Joe, and Ginger, and they were released in newspapers like the Chicago Defender and Pittsburgh Courier between 1937 till 1956. Um, and it was about um, stories that Orms understood herself. She was a part of the Black elite, and so her social circle included popular people like politicians and entertainers and things like that. So she didn't really have a, a viewpoint of Blackness through a lens of like, I'm digging myself up out of the mud. She presented characters that were like, I go to work and I come home and I'm tired <laughs> and this is just an everyday thing. And that was revolutionary at the time. So much so that during the McCarthy era, she was under investigation from the FBI. Um, there were also Ooh. different things like um, paper dolls, which were very popular. I'll call it a toy, even though that's so depressing that paper dolls were a toy. But to have a black, glamorous paper doll that one could buy and have in their home with their black daughter who otherwise hadn't seen herself in the image of an adult and like a possible life path was revolutionary and that was afrofuturistic in thought. So mm -hmm. um that's Jackie Orms. Um there's plenty of online material about her. Unfortunately, I did not know about her, but I'm happy to share a little bit about her so that you can know about her or I guess technically now you know. Um but yeah, that's that's what I'd like to share. And, and now, now you know. Of course, you guys, we will drop all of the links to the sources and resources that we have used for the production of this episode in the show notes. So be sure to check that out for the content of the episode, but also for our Now You Know segment. We appreciate y'all for joining us each and every month. If you think that more people can benefit from this conversation, please be sure to share the podcast with a friend or family member. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to Now We Know wherever you listen. You can find me on Instagram at Donna Janine, or if you want to drop us a note, any feedback or maybe suggestions on people that you'd like us to cover, send us an email at realrelatablepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.